strength and conditioning is filled with some fantastic practitioners that are always searching for more. But more what? What are strength and conditioning coaches searching for to better their ability to prepare their athletes? Well, what about cutting edge information or a place where you can find different opinions from forward thinking coaches on what you're doing, how you're doing, and try to get feedback to be better for your athletes? Or what about a place where you'll find like-minded coaches that can provide solid coaching advice and career development for you as you progress through your career as a strength and conditioning professional? Well, this is exactly why we built the Strength Coach Network. You'll have access to exclusive monthly content on top of the sensationally active forum that we have where you can communicate with coaches all over the world to find those answers that you're looking for to help you be a better practitioner for your athletes. So make sure you hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S, and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Today's episode of Outside the Rack is brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of the Gym Aware. In today's world of strength and conditioning, data collections become the utmost of importance, and that's exactly where Gym Aware separates itself from the competition. Because when we're sitting there and looking to collect data, what data are you actually collecting? And are the numbers you're looking at fitting into the exercises that you're utilizing? And even more so, are they going to answer the questions that you're looking for? Looking at different ways that you are moving the barbell through peak and mean, both velocity and power, is really what separates gym aware from the competition. Being able to understand what your ballistic exercises are doing separate to what your strength exercises are doing really allows you to program at a much more specific level for your athletes. So hop on over to kinetic.com.au to see what Evan and his team have in store for you today. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the 43rd episode of Outside the Rack, brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of gym aware. In this show, we're just going to try to dive a little deeper into the minds of some of the top practitioners of the world of sport performance, to learn a little bit more about who they actually are and how they got to where they are today. Today, I am joined by the University of Buffalo's Director of Strength and Conditioning for Olympic Sports, Sean Connedy. Sean, thanks for being with us, bro. Jay, always a pleasure. Yeah, man, I'm fired up to catch up. Before we get going too far, buddy, who is Sean Connedy? Well, Jay, just like you, I mean, I, I grew up in upstate New York and uh, come from an athletic family. So my mom was a former soccer player. She was on the uh, U.S. national team in the 80s and won three national championships at the University of North Carolina. So you can imagine, since I could walk, she had a soccer ball at my feet and had me in Carolina blue. And uh, even though we lived in New York, every summer she would bring me down to Chapel Hill and my mom would coach at the UNC girls soccer camps and I would do the UNC boys soccer camp and UNC basketball camps. And that was just, that was a huge part of my childhood. Like I just, I fell in love with that environment fell in love with sports and you know, particularly soccer and basketball. So those, those are my first two loves, but uh, you know, soccer, I was much better at soccer than I was basketball, just based on my DNA from my mom, I guess. And uh, in high school, I ended up having three knee surgeries because of soccer and five knee surgeries total all before the age of 21. So that, you know, played a, a big part of my life too. Obviously you think about the return to play process, physical therapy, all, all this kind of stuff, but Really, the big thing was at 14 years old, after my first knee surgery in the fall, I have to sit out basketball season, and my high school basketball coach uh, really was instrumental in getting me like 
into lifting where instead of just sitting around at practice and I'm on crutches, he would get me into the weight room and be like, Hey, why don't you get an upper body lift in? You know, why don't you keep recognize that, you know, normally I throw all my energy into basketball and I was taken away. So he kind of helped redirect my energy as a 14 year old and got me into lifting. And then especially after, you know, three knee surgery in high school, there was a, a whole lot of downtime where, you know, I got into lifting. So strength training kind of became my next love. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in high school and it's like, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Where do you want to go to college? What career path do you want to go down? And, you know, everyone says, follow your passion. But for me, I mean, I loved sports. I loved lifting. I still didn't really know what I want to do. So this is right around the time of my third knee surgery. I'm bedridden for the week. My mom buys me just a ton of magazines to kind of pass the time. And I end up reading a muscle and fitness about Richmond's basketball strength coach, Jay DeMeo, and what he's doing with those guys in the weight room. And so I remember being a kid, just being like, man, that's, that's a career path I could get behind, you know? And so, you know, fortunately then I was able to go to college and had a direction, got a jump start in my career, uh, got a lot of experience early on and just through a ton of internships, GA, full-time, you know, positions, been able to live in seven different States and meet a lot of great people, work with a lot of great mentors and, you know, just every single day, hopefully get to positively impact the athletes I get to work with. That's red, man. Like that, it's funny because that muscle fitness is like right there. There it is. Yeah, uh, it's uh, that that was a really cool moment, you know, for me to be able to be in there when Bob wrote that article. That was that was a lot of fun, and that's it's pretty rad that like reading that kind of helped move you in this direction. Hundred percent. That's freaking cool. That's really cool. I've never heard that. That's freaking cool. I never told you that before. No. I thought I had told you at this seminar one or two times, but you know, that's, it's, you were literally like one of the first college strength coaches I ever heard of. And so that kind of shaped, okay, this is an actual career. I can go this way. And then, so that's why it was cool for me then getting to know you at the seminar and considering you a friend and just doing stuff like this with you, like you, whether you realize it or not, we're really instrumental in everything I got going on. Wow. That's pretty cool. And you just had five knee surgeries and still every time you celebrate the anniversary of your 21st birthday you squat 315 for the years 315 by 30 this year yeah it was yeah i wasn't gonna date you but i was (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. that's when 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 you asked who i was i was gonna say hey i'm a kid from upstate new york but really i'm not a kid anymore i'm 30 years old but and i still feel young in this game and all that kind of stuff but yeah no when i was with the bills i mean my knees were really bad you know and it's if you think about it though i'm 30 years old my first knee surgery was at 14 over half my life I've been dealing with this. So like I've, I've gotten good at it. I kind of figured out how to train around it, what I can do, what I can't do. Um, and that's why I kind of do the squats and stuff too, is it's, it's really good to kind of push the mind, body and spirit and kind of get it going even with some limitations. Oh yeah, I, I bet but that 30 reps is a lot. And from the 20 guy, 30 reps is a lot. That was, uh, I, Everyone says, hey, you're not going to be able to do it for that long. So in my early 20s, I was like, well, I know I can do this till I'm 30. So I'm going to do it till I'm 30. So that's why I said, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm retiring. I achieved that goal. Maybe my 30s, I got to come up with a new goal. You know, we'll see. But every year, regardless, man, on my birthday, I want to do something to kind of push myself. That's awesome, bro. That's awesome. But, you know, as a guy who has bounced around in seven states and learned under a lot of people and had the opportunity to be in a lot of different situations where you're, you're, you're teaching, too. You've done quite a bit to give back. It's uh, first beat that you do this stuff with, right? Yep. You know, so like, it's not like you're a guy that's ever shied away from being challenged, not just physically, but mentally. So if you wouldn't mind, describe a learning situation that brought about an epiphany in your career. 
There are so many. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. I really think every single day I kind of challenge the framework of, that I view things and kind of expand my, my thought process, expand the framework and, you know, look at things differently. So there's so many, but I mean, the, the easy one to talk about is definitely, you know, what is sports science and what is its role as a strength coach and in, in, in strength and conditioning? Because if you look at my career and, and the last 10 years and my evolution of it, like things have certainly changed a lot. And so, you know, going back to when I was in grad school at Springfield College, and then I got an opportunity to intern with the Buffalo Bills, I got exposed right around that time where like the, the sports science technology stuff was like really taking off and super sexy. And it was like cool to be involved with it. As a young intern, I got to, to work with Catapult and work with different technologies where a lot of the graduate assistants that I was at with Springfield College, when they went off and did internships, they, they didn't get exposed to that. So they thought that was super cool that I you know, was able to do that type of stuff. But the, the mistake I made going back to Springfield and then programming for my own teams was I kind of missed the boat on what we were trying to capture with the, the data that we were collecting in the NFL and just figured at a D3 school with no budget, I, I can't take what I was doing and, and apply it here, where everybody else would go do these internships at Louisville, LSU, wherever, and they would come back and, and kind of be like little clones of wherever they were at and like run those programs and everything. And, and for me, I was like, well, we don't got the money to implement some of the things we were doing. I, I can't do it. And that was, you know, kind of my first mistake. And I got a bigger, you know, picture when I got my first full-time job at CNU, Christopher Newport University, and I'm programming for 10 different sports. And so that was, you know, as a young strength coach, I got exposed to literally coaching 300 athletes on any given day just every hour on the hour we got new teams coming in but that type of job limited me to just being in the weight room I couldn't really see the athletes outside the weight room so as a young strength coach you're so fired up about your programs and what you're writing and what the results are going to be and then I noticed early on there was kind of a disconnect in that like dose response relationship of the stress I was applying in the weight room to the readiness state athletes would come back in a day or two later for training so then I realized, look, I got to start looking at stress more holistically than just what I'm in control of in the weight room. I got to figure out a way where I can start to, you know, quantify what's going on at practice and how it's influenced the readiness state and, and all these kind of things. And, and again, I credit you and CVASP. That was 2015, I believe, my first CVASP, uh, just around the, you know, having a barbecue and just chopping up all these different strength coaches. We started talking about, hey, as a strength coach, well, everyone needs to really understand the relationship between training load and recovery and how it affects the weight room and all these kind of things. And we're having these just little social informal conversations, but that really stuck with me because I'm like, man, internally, that's the dialogue I've been having for the last six months that I was at Christopher Newport University. I'm like, I, I need to do a better job with this. It's not the technology. It's just what we're trying to capture and how we can utilize it to be a better strength coach. So I go back to Christopher Newport University and again, D3 school, not a lot of money. And that's where I was like, okay, I can figure out how to do a Google form with a session RPE and uh, I can do a, a wellness questionnaire and do all these things. And so we started to implement these subjective measures where now, even though maybe I couldn't see everything that was going on at basketball practice, we got a good system where I could actually quantify it subjectively with the athletes with a session RPE. And we had all athletes filling out wellness questionnaires before they came in to train. And again, I thought that was important because now you're dealing with data, you're seeing different data sets, you're figuring out pivot tables, and you're just getting used to kind of the logistical process. And you're starting to piece things together a little bit. And you, math, you get really good at that. Then we add in the next piece, which was first beat, where, okay, we subjectively looked at training, load, and recovery. Now let's objectively look at training, load, and recovery. 
So with first beat, then we could quantify you know, internal training load of practice with their trip metric. And then we could quantify uh, objective readiness with their QRT or their, their HRV metrics. So now we have subjective and objective training load and recovery. And we're seeing how those are matching up and we're, we're getting really good at that. And then, you know, the next thing is adding in, well, we got internal training load. Let's add in external training load. Let's see what the athletes are actually doing and let's start to figure that out. And so, you know, this year we utilized Catapult to get an objective uh, external training load metric. But even before that, it was just talking with the sport coaches and figuring out, okay, what is this pr the design of this practice? What do we think the actual results are? What are our high, moderate, low intensity drills, all these kind of things, and bringing them more involved because they were the ones that were actually, you know, programming the practice. And so an, like an epiphany that I thought was, you know, all this technology, everything I'm trying to do, I kind of relate it back to uh, Dr. Mann and his velocity-based training study talking about, you know, did power cleans uh, improve vertical jump? You know, did an exercise that we use to improve power actually improve our key performance indicator of power? And in a study, it didn't because he says, you know, looking at bar velocity, you know, bars were moving too slow, weight might have been too heavy, we lightened up the load, moved it faster, maybe the adaptation would have been power as opposed to adaptation of strength. So to me, a lot of what I was trying to do was simply that, just trying to capture something that's naturally occurring that maybe we don't have a good look at. And, you know, I, I think about is the relationship between those that are applying stress correlated with those that are receiving stress and their perception of it. So that was like the, the next thing I'm trying to look at. And so being, you know, a couple of years ago at Eastern Michigan, I started thinking, well, we, we got these session RPEs. We're doing a good job of that. But now I started sending out coaching session RPEs as well when we started preseason. So I just want to see, is there a disconnect between those that are applying stress and what the actual results are? And it's a lot of what you talk about in the weight room too. Like, here's what our plan is. What are the actual results? I think we need to step back and just see, are we actually getting the results we think we are? And, and to me, that's what a lot of the, the sports science stuff should be. So when I was at, East, uh, at Eastern, first week of preseason, just a simple coaches session RPE versus an athlete session RPE, there was a huge disconnect in that. And it wasn't what you'd expected. The coaches thought practice was very heavy, thought it was a very high volume day. The athletes thought it was a very low volume day. And that actually made sense for me because if you look at style of play, if you look at how we set up our offseason, we didn't do any team practices in the offseason. We just came together right at preseason for the first team practice. So the coaches are looking at it like, you know, we haven't been doing a whole lot of basketball. This is going to be really tough for them. But what they were missing the boat on is I had a whole lot more hours than in the offseason to really go general to specific and, and develop the athletes and really ramp things up, their preparedness level up in the offseason where they were able to handle the demands of practice. So isn't that what every coach wants to hear is, hey, coach, like, we need to really ramp this up. We need to add more live segments into this practice. Just doing a whole lot of teach right now. The athletes are ready to handle more because the other misconception is, you know, the technology is always pulling back, pulling back, pulling back. No, I'm here. I'm telling a coach we need to ramp things up. But what I think about with that is, what did I just do? Was that technology, athlete session RP versus coach session RP? That wasn't technology unless you think Google Forms is technology. You know, was that sports science? You know, maybe people consider that sports science. To me, all that was is I figured out a way to extract information that was already there and figured out a way to present it and communicate it to all the different parties that deal with stress of the athlete. And then we were able to make an intervention off of it. You know, so it's, it's a very simple model. But to me, that's what, you know, the root of sports science is for me is just, are we actually getting the results we think we're getting and figuring out a way to 
get buy-in from the coaching staff to, to communicate what's naturally occurring and, and kind of support them in that role. I dig it, man. And that's a lot of stuff to kind of get wrapped up in and a lot of things that you can definitely trip over, you know, as you progress through all that. Exactly. And that's, so the more you look at data, like there's a million more questions you can ask, but that's, that's, I guess my point is there's, you can dive as deep into it as you want, but a lot of people talk about, you know, not getting buy-in from the coaching staff or what is our role mixed in with the coaching staff. To me, that very simple question of, can we just extract the information that's already out there to see if we're getting the adaptations we think we are and be in that supporting role within the coaching staff. It wasn't me dictating practice or we need to switch this, we need to do that. Let's just, as a coach, here's what you think's going on. Let's see if it's actually going on. Let me solve that problem for you and get buy-in from this standpoint. And then we can start to educate and, and dive into deeper questions as much as you wanna go in it. But for me, like the buy-in with the coaching staff, like that simple question and those simple kind of solutions were really pivotal. Oh, that's big time, especially when you're able to say, listen, uh, we can step on the gas. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I do. I think that that's one misconception. You know, Emma talked about that, right? It's like the yes. a misconception yep. that everybody thinks that, you know, you start doing all this stuff and it's automatically like pump the brakes, slow everybody down. But you would, I think that you would probably argue this too, bro. Like at the end of the day, it's our job to make sure that it goes the opposite, right? Like we need to, now, yeah, maybe you have to pull back every now and then. I mean, obviously there's, don't take this as gospel, right? That it's like, you have to make them do more. But at the end of the day, we have to be building them so they become more resilient. And you can't become more resilient if you don't stress them. You've got to load. We've got to load. we got to, that's to me the technology. We've got to understand what, the training load vibes intensities of the season that we need them to be prepared for but it's really the rate of loading that is the issue and that we can come in and help the sport coaches with is we know where we need to get them but that rate of loading the progressive overload acute to chronic workload ratio all those kind of things are very they're ingrained in strength and condition they're a foundation principle for a lot of people's programs but for us to take that and put it into basketball coaching terms is important and especially with the technology i mean for me I think five different basketball programs I've used first beat with and uh, one soccer program. So that's what six different head coaches, six different philosophies, six different things they want to look at. So th that's my point is it's a lot of different ways you can go about it. But if you can just answer that one simple question for them and everyone's got to be different. There's the, the other kind of epiphany actually is what I found this year at Buffalo, right? With technology, if we didn't have the technology, I would say our, our season, our plan would, would still be what it was. Our coach this year has such a good understanding of what the practice is gonna be, our high days, our low days, what it's gonna look like, that all the data did was just verify what his plan was. He's so intuitive like that. And now he's got a lot of experience in the game. He's used the technology before, but that's the whole goal. But everyone's situation is different because I've definitely worked for coaches where we, you know, we need to use the technology or the train's going off the tracks, right? So everyone's situation is different. But to me, that was a big eye-opener this year is like when I have these meetings with our head basketball coach, it's like, man, he literally is so intuitive about all of this and it's just validating his plan already. Yeah, that's another thing I think people miss the boat on when it comes to it is that like sometimes all it's going to tell you is you're good, <laughs> you know? 
I think people are just afraid of that, like being vulnerable and being, you know, in a position where like, maybe it's going to tell me that I'm not right. Like that's not easy to handle, you know? 100% egos, insecurity. There's a, there's a lot of different reasons. No doubt, man. No doubt. Well, listen, brother, you are a guy that, that digs and is trying to find better ways to do things. I mean, obviously with everything you just said, so this will be a, this will be a fun one for us here, man. If Sean could ask one question and he knows he'd get the answer to it, what would that question be and why? I got tons and tons of questions, Jace. This was tough for me to, to narrow it down. But, you know, going back to my time at CNU, there was something that I would, I would think about all the time. I think it really starts with the fact that, like I said, when I was at CNU and I'm coaching 300 athletes any given day, I remember thinking, you know, all my other friends that went in different career paths, how many of them could say that on any given day, they had the opportunity to make a positive impact with 300 people face to face. Like I remember being young and just thinking like that, that was a real big driving factor for me. And to this day, it still is like working the long hours, the long, the road trips, all this kind of stuff. Like when I think about stuff like that, it, it really motivates me. So the first question, I guess, that would be impossible to answer, but what I would want to see is of the, thousands of athletes that I had the opportunity to coach, how does their lives end up? You know, what do they end up doing? What do they make of themselves? What, what impact do they make? What, do, what kind of changes do they make to the world? Just all, all this kind of stuff. I'd like to, and the older I get, the more like I just see different people from my past coming back and seeing what became of them. Like that type of stuff is, is really cool to me to then see when your athletes like growing up and making a difference and especially with the state of the world now I see a lot of former athletes doing a lot of really really good stuff and like that stuff is, is really empowering uh, so I like that but the the real question then is diving deeper into that about five years ago I think Dr. Mann wrote an article for Elite and he talked about the butterfly effect and he, he linked in there a, a YouTube video with a guy named Andy Andrews I believe and he talks about uh, a farmer that makes a crop that ends up saving two billion people's lives and should the farmer get the credit or should uh, his mentor who, who taught him agriculture get the credit or the mentor had someone in his life who kind of changed the trajectory of his life and going back further that guy had someone change the trajectory of his life all this kind of stuff and so I think about that all the time where you know down the down the road a generation from now after I'm long gone is there an event that changes the world is there does someone cure cancer is there first female president is there some figures out how to eradicate racism, all this kind of stuff. What is that event? And can you actually trace that back through the butterfly effect to an athlete that I was able to make a, an impact on? And, and what was that interaction? Because there's a lot of people, you know, as I get older too, there's athletes, hey, I remember when you did this for me and that, that made me get the motivation to do this. And you don't even remember that interaction. You know, so what was that interaction that helped change the trajectory of this person's life? And then what's the trickle down effect to where it actually globally makes the world a better place? That's deep. <laughs> that's real deep. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, but for, that I can remember when, uh, when Dr. Mann wrote that article and linked that and I was at CNU, I, I remember being like, man, this is real deep. But literally that was something that has stuck with me ever since then that, I think about all the time and stuff that uh, is materializing even now, right? You know, you see that generation of athletes that is going out and, and making an impact. And, you know, I, 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why we do what we do, right? We, we always talk about we want to impact them more than just the weight room or the court. We want to set them up for life. So, like, that's the type of stuff that is tough to quantify. It's tough to, to keep track of. But, yeah, if you can actually see that, that's pretty powerful. No doubt, man. No doubt. Well, listen, Sean, let me get you out here on this, brother. I mean, you're a guy all over the place, educating people, trying to get better, coaching, you know, your guys – Probably not as much right now as you'd like, but I'm sure that you're doing plenty to, to be in touch with them. But what's your escape, man? I mean, the, the first thing, I'm, I'm a big family guy. And so, you know, obviously being in this field, traveling a lot, like I empathize with people that are away from their families, and I know that's tough. So, you know, obviously I'm, I'm at Buffalo now. I'm a, a day's drive away from my family in New York. Uh, so I try and take advantage of that as much as possible. For as fortunate as you know, I'm able to be in this position, I want to be able to see my family uh, as much as possible. It's a huge recharge for me. Uh, and then with that too, just, you know, spending time with my girlfriend. Um, we, we always joke, like literally being in quarantine in Buffalo, she was the only like living, you know, we do all these Zoom calls and everything. She was the only living person I'd seen for like a month. You know, you go to the grocery store once a week or whatever, but spending all day, every day around her. And she's the only person I could be around that, you know, it, it doesn't drain my energy. Like it actually recharges me. So, uh, you know, <laughs> It sucks being away from our guys and not coaching on the floor, but I, I've been enjoying the, the last month and, and taking advantage of that too. Um, and, and so with that, I mean, I got so many interests outside of strength and conditioning. I think it's important to, to make time and, and pour some energy into that stuff as well, whether it's, you know, music or movies, or I just, I just made her uh, watch all three Godfathers with me in the last few weeks. She never had seen them before. So we did a, a what do you mean made? You had to force someone to watch those? <laughs> well, not, not me, not me. But yeah, that was, she never had seen them. So I was like, look, we're, we did a deep dive into all three of them and then listening to podcasts and YouTube videos, dissecting them, breaking them down. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in all that kind of stuff, obviously. Um, but so many different issues. I mean, we were just at the, the driving range yesterday. Golf driving range is something that I, I can't get enough of. Anything that kind of takes your mind off of whatever it is and, uh, you know, you can be present with that. But then the last thing, which is you know real important, is obviously training. I think a lot of strength coaches we need to separate training from our job because training is still such a huge escape uh, and something that I need in my life. And there's been different parts of, of my career where something like going and getting a, a gym membership and you know not training at work but going somewhere else to a different environment to train has brought you know just a huge refresh into uh, obviously you know my my training, but just work itself. It, it keeps you fresh and refreshed and all that kind of stuff. And even, even here at Buffalo, when we were in the office, me and the whole basketball staff would live together. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't really talk about work or anything like that. We would just really get after it and, and bond over that. But training and lifting is, uh, it's important to keep that what it was to keep it. You know, a lot of us got into this field because we fell in love with training and, um, I, I you know, everyone's work environment is different as much as we love our jobs you know, there's certain political stuff and stress that, that goes on. So I think it's important to separate that and keep training, training. I dig it, man. I dig it. She's seen Godfather. She saw the Godfather. She's seen Goodfellas yet then. Oh yeah. Goodfellas. She's seen a bunch of times. Yeah. Okay. All, all of it. Goodfellas, the Irishman, all, everything. I'm, I'm exposing her to all of it. <laughs> I going to say like, all right, if at least you got Goodfellas, we're okay. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're all right. Yeah. You know? yeah. Godfather, she that's in- a day. That's a day investment. Oh, yeah. A whole day, yeah, and then we watched all three of them. So that took, you know, three full days. But she grew up in Brazil, so she didn't grow up around those movies. So I had to, you know, kind of teach her some of the, the American culture. Oh, 
there's a lot to learn in there. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> well, listen, brother, it's great to see you and great to hear from you. I'm glad you're doing awesome, man. And, and this is great. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it, Chad. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. Cheers. We'll be in touch soon. Absolutely. Thanks.